Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, crypto traders around the world. We're back with a little bit of news. There's fortunately nothing of major significance that's happening, which makes me smile. At least it should make you smile. And you're like, why? Because when we see that there's a lot going on and there's a lot in the news, it usually doesn't portend, P-O-R-T-E-N-D, good things. It usually means that something scary or unnecessary or stupid is about to happen, as we've seen time and again. But there's one bear in the room with the, no with the news. And that's, of course, what's going on with Russia and the Ukraine. And, of course, you're like, well, how does that have any direct impact We've seen that Russia has been embracing of cryptocurrency. We've seen that. However, we've also seen that Russia tends to want to try to reclaim territory whenever it suits them. We saw that with Crimea, right? And there's a downstream impact because natural gas comes from there. And you're like, I still don't connect the dots, Leister. If you think about energy in general, we're talking electricity, at, at the core, but also you got hydroelectric, you got nuclear, you got coal, natural gas, all these different forms of energy. You've heard, if you've listened to my podcast for a while, you've heard me repeatedly say, and if you're new to the show, you will frequently hear me now say, energy uses do, 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 and proof of work, do, 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 which is the predominant messaging coming from the various governments, largely spearheaded by the United States government, because that's all they care about, because they don't want to embrace cryptocurrency. And they're finding an excuse not to embrace it using energy and green new deal and farting cows as kind of their driving force. Well, you have to think some logic here. If we're trying to go to so-called clean sources of energy, natural gas has been perceived as not a clean source of energy for some time. We can debate whether it is or isn't. The point is, is that natural gas has been in a spotlight with what happened in Texas there's a mixture of natural gas, plus I believe they have some coal-fired plants still remaining. And they had their outage, and they were using solar and wind, and all that didn't do them any good. And so then Bitcoin miners go down there, and now they're worried that the Bitcoin mining is going to have a negative impact in the winter, which is their winter is right about now. Because what happened, as I reiterated on the episode yesterday, February was a bad year in 2021 for the state of Texas, because unfortunately the grid went down and they were not able to recover it. And ultimately you can, they deny it, but you can not, not Texas, but the federal government denies this, but you can point the blame squarely directly at the rise of so-called clean energy sources because they were never built to be sustainable when there are adverse weather events. We know that solar is essentially useless. If you're in a blizzard, we know that wind uh, turbines are essentially not useless, but they're nowhere near as effective when you're in a blizzard. So we can look at all the other ones like hydroelectric. Well, that's kind of self-explanatory in a blizzard, right? So we can go down the list. Natural gas has always been that kind of constant where we've always been able to trust it for the most part. We've always been able to trust it and rely on it and depend on it for basic things such as heating, right? Heating the water that comes into your home. Chances are, unless you've gone tankless, it's probably natural gas driven. Most stoves are still natural gas. There was a rush, I want to say about two or three years ago, to try to get rid of natural gas and do more embracing of the clean sources because, again, there's always been the, the narrative that climate change is, you know, natural gas is damaging to the climate in addition to all the other sources. And, and there's no real true science behind it. It's really speculative science. Well, where am I going with this? Because there's an attack on things like Bitcoin because of energy uses deep, 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 and then because there's a dependence on energy to run basic society as we know it, 
And because we already know that natural gas is really the most, I'm not a fan of natural gas, but I acknowledge that it's the, it's basically the most efficient, most ubiquitous way in order to make society do what it needs to do Con, in conjunction with other energy sources. So basically I'm saying put a com combination of energy sources all together and then create the energy pool from that, which we don't seem to want to do in the United States. We seem to want to just leap to wind and solar and to a lesser degree hydroelectric because we think that that's going to somehow solve the climate, even though the United States is not really the one that's causing the most harm to it. We can scientifically prove this. Well, if we accept that the better way is to have multiple sources of energy, it means we can't lose any one of them because all of them contribute in some form. We rely a lot on Ukraine and to a lesser degree other countries, but certainly Ukraine for natural gas. And there's and other countries do as well. So when we look at the disruption that's happening out there, it has a downstream impact because if it impacts our ability to obtain and consume natural gas, that means it impacts one of our key sources of energy. And if we impact one of our key sources of energy, that's going to have more fingers pointed at the Bitcoin miners energy uses do, 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 because we don't have the rest of those reserves from my opinion, from my perspective, looking at the situation, that's what I forecast could potentially happen. It wouldn't be that big of a deal if we would leave the Bitcoin miners alone and recognize that their consumption is not that heavy and that they can use clean energy sources and have done and have increasingly done. But now it's just going to give an excuse to the governments to say, this is why we need to get rid of mining. This is why we need to stop cryptocurrency because it's damaging. And when something like this happens, we lose our energy and we can't sustain our people. There's going to be an overreaction is my prediction, and I don't want to see that because there's no reason for it. From my perspective, I think we're going the wrong direction on it. Could I be wrong? Absolutely. I hope I'm wrong, but I have a sense that I'm not wrong. And so we're, you know, everybody watches that situation kind of intently to see where is it going to go, what's going to happen. Russia's come out and said, no, we're not going to invade. The United States is, is basically setting stuff off, and they're making it seem making us seem like the bad guys and we've seen that before i will say this and i know some people this won't be popular and in the wrestling business they call this heat i'll get a little bit of heat for the statement but let's be honest the crimea situation has been going on since what 2014 so there's always been this disruption dealing with russia because the changes they saw they were against the whole move you know to so-called western values basically trying to turn into a ghetto version of the United States. And I believe firmly that a lot of this new disruption we're seeing and the rise of some of the pushback is coming because of what happened in Afghanistan. I firmly believe that, that we're seeing that, you know, if you jump all in the United States, this is what's going to happen to you. And we can't let that happen to these folks over here who basically was part of us at some point in the past. And we got to come back all together. We saw the same thing actually with Korea, where there was talk about North and South reunifying and Let's get away from Western values. I, you know, it's always been this narrative. All of these disruptions and the reason that I spent so much time talking about this, because I know you're confused, is all of these disruptions have an impact on energy across the globe. So that's really the, the pain I resonate with is impact to energy across the globe. Impact to energy across the globe will increase scrutiny on the highest level energy consumers. And one of those, unfortunately, is mining of cryptocurrency. And proof of work isn't going anywhere, which means it gives governments an excuse to attack them. So I'm, you know, Hercules, Hercules, if you stuck with me this long, because I wanted to tie it together, that 
it's not a good thing that the disruption is happening. Everybody agrees this, but I think we also need to analyze why it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing because it has downstream impacts because our governments tend to overreact whenever there's any disruption of any form and they believe there's going to be a negative impact on the regular society. We'll have to watch and see. Hopefully everything turns out clean and we don't have any issues and everything's, it's not a problem and we're able to recover and maybe it's a non-issue. Is Russia right? Is it just the United States basically setting stuff off and they're just, you know, it's kind of the whole, hey, this person over here said something about you to try to initiate a fight. They're just, you know, instigating stuff. We don't know. We know that they've done it before, but is it happening now? We don't know. I will say, and again, more heat. I will say that we didn't see this much let's say disruption to this level. We did see some, but it seemed like it was calming down in Russia and North Korea under the prior administration. I'll leave that there for you to think about. Let's get into other news besides that one. That was the big one in the room and I wanted to make sure to talk about it. Let's get into other news. Uh, SHIB. SHIB is on a pretty, I don't want to say steep because it's, it's a fraction of their total population, but it's on a decline and the decline is people have eyes on it because I said before in a previous episode, there's a lot of issues with SHIB and the, the way they presented what they're going to do, the way that they're going to try to get in front of the Shibarium whenever that chooses to launch and using bone as the currency. And I said that I think people are stockpiling bone. I still believe people are stockpiling bone. But what happened is, is that people noticed that, that they were losing holders at a pretty rapid change. It wasn't it wasn't a major, like they have over a million, I think it's a million point five, right? But it was like over 4,000 holders. And some people were looking at this saying, that's a lot of holders to be dropping. Now, we have to think about why they might be leaving. Again, the Shibarium thing, I do believe is a, at least a contributing factor. I don't believe it's a sole factor, but I do believe it's a contributing factor. I also think that some people might simply just be getting out of SHIB and moving their money to other assets that they believe are going to have more long-term value. So if you maintain SHIB and you sit on it, you've been sitting on it. And just to put it in perspective, I am a SHIB holder. However, I'm nowhere near the holder I was when I first got in. I think I got in on SHIB. Geez, it must've been like August, July. And so I had millions, millions and millions of tokens. And then I sold over time for profit. And then eventually I sold the vast majority of the tokens uh, and just got out of it. I still have a stake. It's a very small stake. It's not worth very much in wallet and then I have another stake in uh, Shiba Swap and then I have a mining machine that mines more SHIB. So I don't have I don't have significant anywhere near. It wasn't that I didn't at the time didn't believe in it. It was simply that my priorities for investment changed. I chose to do a different investment strategy than going with the SHIB route and basically sitting hold, hold, hold. Because what I learned doing this and I try to tell you guys all the time they tell you, when I say they, I'm referring to the various social media platforms and the crypto platforms and, you know, Reddit and everywhere else. Just hold, hold, just hold. And the reason they do that is because of SHIB predominantly. SHIB was one of the first where people were able to put in 20-something dollars. And at some point, it did get to a point where they were made millionaires. We know that happened. However, that probability has now decreased substantially. We are now seeing that more tokens... Yes, you could hold, but the length of time you would need to hold in order to get that type of ROI is getting longer. Why is it getting longer? Because a lot of these token, if you think about SHIB's tokenomics, SHIB's tokenomics are very dumb, simple. They don't have any reflections. 
there's a burn, but it's a transactional burn and it's a manual burn sometimes. They did somewhat of an aggressive advertising push. It's available on exchanges. So that's it, right? You don't really get much for holding SHIB other than the benefit of potentially making wealth. The inventory is too darn high even now. And then couple that with other coins who are coming up with tokenomics that actually do benefit you to a much better degree where there are reflections. There's an automated burn and there's a buyback liquidity and they're getting creative about how it does it. Also, SHIB being on the Ethereum chain gave it some popularity because of the way of exposure and people being aware of Ethereum more so than the other networks. That played a factor. The downside, of course, of Ethereum has been the gas fees, which right around the time that SHIB started to jump, Ethereum started to jump. Getting on the exchanges helped, but by then it was already too late because you already hit that maximum potential for price and we got that all-time high. Then CoinMarketCap had the price wrong. I believe they had the price right initially, but then... You know, the SHIB architecture was just broken. That's my theory. But CoinMarketCap reports the price. It's not the correct price. And then the price had spiked during that period, but it was not true. It was false. So SHIB's had a lot of false starts and, and positives. And then Shibarium announcement comes out and they choose the wrong coin. Again, if you would go back in time and they say, you know, Shibarium, you know, investors, tell us what you think. Should we use Bone knowing this is true or should we use Shiv knowing this is true? And let them, I guarantee you, at least 90% of them would have said use Shiv. Not because they care about Shivarium, but because they wanted to burn. They wanted auto burns of Shiv because they know that's the only way the price is going to go anywhere. And I've said that multiple times. And so now with the number that's been dropping, it's again, it's, a, it's not a significant amount, but it's enough. It's, you know, it's less than 1%. So I wouldn't freak out over it, but I do think that there's a lot of people that were in SHIB that are no longer, they're kind of, you know, disenfranchised about what happened, but also the general sentiment and then the other tokens that are coming up on the rise. Like Solana, for example, is coming back up on the rise and then you got other ones. Speaking of Solana and the people that jumped over Solana, those people probably weren't very happy because Solana yet again had another issue. I, again, I said it on social media. It's like, it's more news when they don't have an issue than when they do, because it seems like there's all these issues. And I, I frankly don't, I don't even know how to categorize it at this point, but apparently they had a, an, an attack. So there was a technical attack on the network. They call it a wormhole attack because the team that's doing it is working on the wormhole bridge. So if you were to search this, you're going to search Solana wormhole hack. And about 300 some odd million was taken from the bridge. The team is going to replace the stolen Ethereum that was taken from the bridge. So that's cool that they're going to replace it. And I'm glad that they openly announced it. Unlike what these jokers over at BitMart and everybody did and crypto.com, at least they came out and said, this is what happened. This is what, what we're going to do about it. We're going to fix this. And just to explain how this was doable, because it seems like, well, what the heck? What they did is they basically called a mint. So when you create coins, tokens, there's a function usually in the contracts that lets you mint new currency or not. So if it's a currency that's supposed to grow, like say Doge, Doge has a function that lets them mint and it automatically does so. I believe it's like 10,000 every something. Mints new coins to pull into circulation as an attempt to keep pace with inflation and not have excessive deflation. So when you have the mint function there, you're assumed that the only one who can execute this is the owner. Somehow they were able to hack in and call the mint function and then swap the tokens to their wallet and then cash them out. And then 
basically put the put them back in. It was a very elaborate hack. They don't think that it they don't think it's going to have an overall significant impact, but it's it's the the re, you know the responsibility of the token op owners to have locked this down. And you beg the question: if they were able to do this to this degree, what else is there plus all the different things that have happened to them? Because they've had numerous issues over time. I've covered them at least two or three times, from network outages to clogs in the network traffic and all sorts of stuff. I, I don't know. It doesn't seem like a poorly built network. It seems like it's robust, but they, for whatever reason, are not able to completely lock the darn thing down, and I don't really understand the reason uh, why that is. <laughs> and then on some more funny news. So now there was there were some people that came out, and toxicity I've talked about before has started to infect various cryptocurrencies at an alarming pace. We're seeing it more and more. And now it's starting to hit the mainstream. Now, what's happening is apparently there's insults happening because of COVID. So people are starting to draw parallels, which I don't agree with, but they're starting to draw parallels with COVID-19 and AIDS. And some people don't understand what the heck are you talking about? Here's what you got to understand. The Magic Johnson, basketball star, legend, Hall of Famer, one of the greatest ever to do it. Magic Johnson contracted AIDS. This was a big story way back. So if you're a younger listener, you may or may not know this, but he contracted AIDS way back younger. First it was HIV and then progressed to AIDS. And he has been kind of one of the two, I would argue, stories, positive stories around that whole fiasco that happened. The other one being Ryan White. If you want to hear a little bit more about the Ryan White situation and AIDS, I encourage you to listen to our other podcast, Gentleman's World. I did a dedicated episode specifically for that and I broke down how what we're doing to react to COVID is very similar to the way that people reacted during the AIDS pandemic. I'll summarize it in a couple sentences. Back during the AIDS pandemic, we didn't know what the heck the thing was. It came out of nowhere. Ryan White, young kid, he was featured everywhere at the time. He had contracted it due to a blood transfusion that was not his fault. There was nothing else of it, just he contracted it. And then people blacklisted him. They called him a pariah. They treated him as an outsider. He got kicked out of school. His friends turned on him. Anthony Fauci was there at that time, and Anthony Fauci was promoting a fear-based science that we should avoid these people, we should keep them away from our kids, and we should wear masks or whatever and protect. And it was this whole big thing. So then eventually Ryan White and his family go on campaigns to try to educate people as to the truth that, hey, he's just another kid like everybody else. He wants to go back to school like everybody else and be embraced. Later, Magic Johnson comes out and admits he contracted AIDS. And at the time, it was this whole big thing because, of course, there was still nervousness about it because it's like, okay, can he play with everybody else? And he eventually has to retire from the game. He becomes an advocate. He's taking therapeutics and cures. There's no true cure, but he's taking cures for the various impacts that happen because you have AIDS. So he takes different supplements and things and keeps him healthy. He's been able to live, so he's debunked the narrative that it's a death sentence. But the, the narrative and the conversation was very identical to what happened during the AIDS pandemic in what we're doing with COVID, even though the death rate and the death risk is way lower than what AIDS was doing. AIDS at the time, if you caught full-blown AIDS, so it evolves from HIV to AIDS, if you caught full-blown AIDS, it might as well have been a death sentence because we didn't have anything. There was no vaccine. There was no nothing to do with it. And then the way it spread, once they found out that later it could spread through 
sexually transmitted or through blood transfusions. Well, people get transfusions all the time. And then obviously people have sex all the time. So it was way worse in the presentation. However, there were easier ways to prevent that spread once we knew more about it. But Fauci was there spreading fear-based science and people freaked out. So this, this mayor basically took a photo recently with Magic Johnson. And Magic Johnson, as I said, he's a legend. He's a Hall of Famer. The mayor came out and said he just held his breath so that he could take a maskless photo with Magic Johnson. And then people that are in the crypto business were talking about, oh, well, you know, he probably got Rona, Corona, virus, COVID, and AIDS from just the photo and being around this guy. And it just tells you when you have this fear-based science and you have this paranoia and this freak out, I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's AIDS, COVID, anything. I don't care when you do that. You're, you're, you're taking us back to the 90s. You're taking us back at a point where all we do is make assumptions about the spread of a thing. It's, it's a stupid comment, and it just it speaks to the toxicity, the absolute toxicity that's invading the crypto community. That doesn't make any sense. And now you're tying it to diseases and illnesses. And if you, I don't know if anybody that's listening saw this or has friends that do that or anything, I'll say this from my perspective. Regardless of what you feel about the darn pandemic, I don't care. I don't care what you feel about the mask. I don't care what you feel about the shot in the arm. I don't care what you feel about any of that stuff because it's your business, number one. Number two, at the end of the day, it's got nothing to do, almost cussed, it's got nothing to do with cryptocurrency. Nothing. Cryptocurrency is a separate thing, and we should not conflate the two because they are not, they're mutually exclusive. They have nothing to do with each other. We can say that the pandemic had an impact on the embracing of crypto. What we shouldn't be doing is making denigrating statements around somebody that has a legit illness that legitimately could have killed him, where he spent years and millions of his own money trying to educate the public around why we didn't need to be afraid of it, only to have us regress back 30 years because of Anthony Fauci. So no, I'm not, I'm not taking a stance on anything about diseases. I'm saying that it's, even if he wasn't all a Hall of Famer, the man survived he survived and it's a positive story we shouldn't be trashing him and we shouldn't be making those kinds of quips like i that's more offensive to me this what this dude did that's more offensive to me than almost anything i could think of around covid19 to equate that covid19 where the percentage of people who die from it is lower than the people who actively get you know any other shot or people who shoot somebody else or people who get abortions. It's like the percentage of people who die is so much lower than everything else we deal with. We have a fentanyl crisis and the government largely ignored it in favor of that thing. And we're going to equate that to AIDS when AIDS was this whole big thing in the nineties. And now we're going to bring that up as if it's still, I'm, I'm totally offended by it. I wanted to talk about it because again, I'm sharing that if you got friends or anybody like that, to me, it's not close. And I suggest Anybody go do research about Ryan White, Magic Johnson, and AIDS back in the 90s, 1991, 1990. Go look at that time frame, and you'll see Anthony Fauci was there. He was spreading fear-based science, and everybody was in a panic, and people were acting irrational. Sound familiar? The last piece here, lawmakers. And, of course, you already know what side of the aisle they stand on, but lawmakers introduced a bill. And what they were trying to do with this bill in the United States is to prevent the IRS from taxing any crypto transactions that are under $200 because they want to, again, this side of the aisle, not all of them, but this side of the aisle wants to embrace cryptocurrency, make it somewhat mainstream, 
and they know that there's going to be a fear and a freak out if we start taxing every single thing. Okay, you just spent $2 of crypto, we're going to tax you 20% of it or whatever. So they're trying to do this bill to basically create a bottom tier and exclude it, but also to simplify the tax code a little bit with respect to crypto whenever that comes out. Because if you don't know, and if you're not in the U.S., you wouldn't, but in the United States, generally speaking, any gains, I'm talking realized gains on cryptocurrency sell is going to be considered a capital gain. Capital gains are always taxed at a higher percentage, regardless of whether it's a fiat-based capital gain, like you did stocks or something else, or a crypto-type you know, capital gain. So they don't really know that you do or don't have cryptocurrency transactions unless you went through an exchange that's reporting to the IRS. So, or you self-report. So if you go through software tools or you go through like H&R Block or something, they'll ask you the question, did you do cryptocurrency transactions? And then they'll ask about certain thresholds. The problem is right now, the threshold is pretty darn, it's pretty darn high. And they're basically equating it, like I said, they always would do, to the way stock works to basically report every single gain that you had. This gets very tedious for the person reporting the taxes. It gets very tedious for the IRS. It gets very tedious for the administrators because... You could have small, like Coinbase right now or Crypto.com or somewhere that gives you a card and you swipe it and you buy something at the store. That's a taxable transaction under capital gains rules. In those tools, they'll give you a report and you can get the summary of all of it. You have to give that to the IRS. There's no way they're going to automatically get it. There is a form that's filed on your behalf for certain exchanges like Coinbase. However, you still have to do the accounting for everything that didn't go through that. Let's say that you cashed out to something and they sent you cash. You still have to account for that. That wouldn't be coming to the exchange. So you have to collect up all these sources of where all this crypto happened, where it was hinged and where it was bought and sold. And then you have to centralize it. You're like, well, that seems like a lot of work. It is because that's the way our tax code works. Now, here's where it works to your benefit. You also want to account for losses. So let's say that you made I don't know, $40,000 a year in your regular job, your day-to-day -day job, but you lost $20,000 worth of cryptocurrency, you literally realized a loss. So when you cashed out, it was less. You can claim the losses, generally speaking, there's rules, but generally speaking, you can claim those losses. So they weren't capital gains, they were actually losses on these different things, stocks or crypto, whatever it is, and help offset your tax burden. There's a lot of complexity to the rules by which you do so, but if you're working with a tax specialist or you don't know how to do it, the tool will guide you on what you need to know and what you need to document. This is why it's important that you always pay attention to your basis. How much did I put in when I started? How much money did I put in? If And the problem with decent, decentralized crypto is they don't give you any reporting about the money you put in unless you bought it straight from them. So think of it this way. If you were to go to Uniswap right now, and you were to say, I want to buy $500 worth of cryptocurrency. They'll generally speaking send you an email. Okay, you bought $50 worth of cryptocurrency on this date, right? Okay, no problem. But let's say that you had a different crypto and you trade it for something else to get that whatever crypto you're trying to get. There's no document trail of that. You'd have to start at the source that you got over here, which could be an exchange or it might be another person's wallet. Could have been sent to you from someone else. So you'd have to document all this stuff. Folks, this is the reason why I say, and I said in my 101, and I didn't continue the 101 because the numbers didn't skyrocket, but if you do want the 101 back, and for me to continue that, please leave us comments at CryptoTalkRadio.net. There's a contact form at the top. This is the reason I put the first episode to say, start at an exchange. Don't start in a wallet. 
because the exchange, if you go to a reputable exchange, they are on the hook to document your gains, your actual capital gains. So if you're in Coinbase.com, they're going to send you documents. If you're in Robinhood, they're going to send you documents. Crypto.com, I'm sure will, although they're having weird issues. But they're going to send you the documents that help you track when you have a, a gain and a loss. Even if somebody sends you money, let's say it's money that's sent from somebody else and you send it to your Coinbase and then you spend it, you're going to be able to get that documentation. Let's say the value of that crypto decreases and it's an unrealized loss. You can report that because you have that report from Coinbase or Robinhood or whatever. Going from the exchange first is going to save you a lot of time from this journalist's perspective as opposed to starting with a wallet because the wallet is not designed to do that. It's designed to be just an off transaction. If you want to do it that way, that's up to you. I can't order you. I'm warning you that if you're in the United States, I don't think it behooves you because as I just described, the United States government is actively trying to figure out how to find and tax money, at least at certain levels, to make sure that they get money back in the coffers. Let's go ahead and get into our underdog token. I don't even know if it's fair to call him an underdog, but I'm going to call him an underdog because I ain't never heard of him. But I've watched it, and it, it came to my attention from Dex Tools. They came up on the banner, and I clicked on it and saw the price move it, and I'm like, this looks like a scam. I'm, I'm not calling them a scam. I'm saying it looks like a scam. I could be way off wrong, but from what I saw, when I looked a little bit deeper, it doesn't look like a scam. It looks like it's poorly thought out. So I wanted to talk about it real quick. And this one's called Strong Block, strongblock.com. Literally the word strongblock.com is a website. And I'm not going to talk about the token fundamentals because I think they're crap, but I will talk about just the overall projects. I think that's the, the messaging they're trying to tell me at least. This project talks about being able to create a node, and I'm not going to bore you with the technical details of what that means, but create a node that supports the blockchain. Right now, you could create a node on the blockchain and you can basically support the traffic and transactions that happen across the blockchain. The problem is there's a lot of steps to it. It's a lot, it's a lot to think about. It's a lot to plan on, a lot to figure out, and it's hard to really get in there. It's really more for the more advanced mining community to consider doing that. The only reason that you would really do it in a world of proof of stake, you're going to need to have nodes, validation nodes. You're going to, need to have nodes that help the traffic do what it needs to do. StrongBlock is working on the concept of what they call nodes as a service, which is basically that you can spin up a node and they help you get 90% of it all set and build up and then they educate you on what to do on the rest of it. By doing the node, then you earn rewards in the form of their various coin, which is the Strong token. And the contract's public. It's on the Ethereum chain by default. However, they also have Polygon and I believe Phantom are other networks. They may have other networks in addition, but I know I certainly saw Polygon and I saw Phantom. Now, there's a lot of people that are buying into this. And there's a lot of people that are participating because, of course, there's rewards that can be made for doing something that your computer would already do. If you know anything about services like SETI at home, it's very similar to something like that. Folding at home, very similar to something like that. However, those are very energy-intensive process services. They take a lot on your computer. They're not hard to set up, but they do take a lot of your computer. Whereas being able to set up a service as a node, it gives you that ability to do the same contribution to support a blockchain strategy without having to you know, give of yourself time and energy into figuring out how to do it. And they have ETH20 staking so that you can get ahead of the ETH2 a lot. So there's a lot of appeal in the messaging, at least, that I saw. 
Now, if you look at their site, they talk about various things that everybody else does, you know, NFTs and all this stuff. They have like metal NFTs and all this. And it is audited. When you look at their audit, though, here's what caught my eye. They're audited by a service called, I believe it's called Hacken. And Hacken I'd never heard of at all. But Hacken strikes me as they only look at the security aspects of things. And when you're doing node and blockchain, that's important. But I don't see the audits I want to see, which is the more, how do we know that the investor is well taken care of type audits, the functional audits, the the actual, you know, care of the contract and the protection of the contract. Da, 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 da. When I looked at the hack in review, it looked like they did go into some details about what I want to see with the gas and how that's handled, ownership, uh, different types of violations in the code that you would hope not to see. And then it gives you a summary score, which I thought was very good. They didn't come back with anything major. So there may be something more to the hack and audit process. The downside I didn't like from my perspective, the organization of it is hard to parse as to should I care as an investor. And I want to stress, I'm not criticizing hacking. I'm saying that the organization of the audit doesn't speak to investor. It speaks to the code writer, the people who built it, the owner of the project. I would like to see an audit that is more for the investor because you're still an investor at the end of the day, whether you got those tokens for free or you bought them, you're still an investor. And I don't, I don't see from their site anyway, that there's an audit that speaks to the investor side. So it may be that they don't expect people to buy the token directly. They do have the contract public. So, and because it's Ethereum, I'm assuming there's gotta be some Uniswap going on, but you know, I don't know. I want to see an audit that is speaking to the investor, not just for the code. It's not just about the code. I want to see a little bit more than that. Their white paper, they refer to it as a flash paper. The flash paper is hosted on Medium, which drives me absolutely bat, almost cussed, bat nuts. I don't like it. I want a PDF, flat PDF, cannot be edited later after the point. However, when you look at the paper, they, I think they do a decent job of explaining why they exist, right? We want to have the nodes. We want to incentivize the people for running the nodes because we believe in the strong blockchain. And we have this many nodes, and this is what we're doing. This is our team. This is who we are. They're fully doxxed. You got faces. You got accounts, LinkedIn accounts, the whole nine. Facts about the token. They started with a 10 million supply. And then the key thing that stood out on this one, they burned roughly about 94-ish percent of this dude. So it has a highly constrained remaining inventory left. And the circulating is even lower than that, which means that the price movement potential is strong, especially when you hit ETH2O. You have a strong opportunity to for this to skyrocket. And I think its price can get very close to Ethereum once it's hit, you know, once ETH2O comes out, because they're providing a service that would support ETH2O in the future state, which we don't have very well. We have staking in ETH2O. Like if you go to Coinbase, you can essentially, quote, stake your your tokens for ETH2O and it locks them in, but it's not really the same thing as the validation node that they're talking about here. It's basically just, you know, staking, traditional staking and not what this is talking about. So uh, in summary, it's not that I don't like the service they're offering it. It's not that I don't think it's a good service and it's not that I don't think there's positive rewards. I'm saying that the, the paper, number one, need the flat paper, white paper. Two, I need something on the audit that speaks to the investor, not just the code. Like we're talking investor-friendly activities that's what i saw was missing when i looked at this now let me call out the one thing that i consider the absolute deal breaker for me and why i would not invest in it at least at this point no matter how much money i potentially could make it's a lot when you want to do this they ask you to do two commitments 
And it's both commitments together that bothered me, just to be clear. Number one, they ask you to make an upfront investment, and the upfront investment is 10 strong. Well, right now, the price of strong is a little bit over 400 bucks, so just over 4,000, close to $500, so close to five grand just to be able to start this thing. Then they ask you, or they require you, not ask, they require you to pay a maintenance fee of almost $15 in ETH every month. I'm sorry, that's unacceptable. I know why they're doing it. I don't agree with it. Figure out how you can take it from the rewards. I don't want to see at all that we are asking people to do a monthly, like, can you imagine a, a monthly subscription fee just to be an investor and support the project by staking your own coins, to, to stake your own and validate your own? You're forced to pay a monthly fee? No, I, I refuse. I won't do it, and I won't recommend anybody else do it. If they got rid of the monthly fee, I'd probably be okay with it. The five grand's a lot, but because of the technology involved, I'm cool with the five grand, I'm, at least right now. It'll be higher. I'm not cool with the $15 a month. Get rid of the monthly fee. That's not going to work. I don't support that. It's their project. They can do whatever they choose. That's strongblock.com. Take a look at it. And if you like it, please, by all means, buy in. I won't be doing so. That's all I got for you today. I will check back into you tomorrow. And then exciting news is going to be coming with tomorrow's update. So tune in for that.